Hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Nomad Barista podcast. I'm your host, Brody Vissers, and I seek out coffee professionals, coffeepreneurs around the world who have really paved their own path, nailed their niche, and designed their own lifestyle around what they love. Today, I'm revisiting a quick chat with Carla Bosa that we put on YouTube a few years ago. She's a coffee producer from El Salvador and someone I've gotten to know through the global coffee scene. Carla brings firsthand experience from the hills of San Jacinto near San Salvador. Their family farm, Finca San Antonio Amatepec, and she shares the real challenges coffee producers face on a daily and yearly basis, from common misunderstandings about their work, the hard choices in crop management, focusing on quality over quantity for specialty coffee, and the importance of connecting directly with consumers, like us, like yourselves. Let's get right into it. Yeah. Awesome. So my name is Carnavosa. I am a coffee producer from El Salvador. Um, right now, I'm currently located in San Salvador. And our farm is called San Antonio Matepec. And it is located in the hills of San Jacinto, which is really close to the city. So it's a very um, unique farm in that it's very urban already. It's in a very urban area. So. Amazing. And yeah, I think we were introduced through the coffee community back in Toronto, uh, (laughs) you know, a few years ago and just, you know, was able to, to meet some of the El Salvadorian uh, coffee community through the Toronto cafe and importing scene. Um, So we've kind of been able to keep in touch from that point on. But one of the main reasons why I wanted to bring you on today was uh, had to do with, you know, as you know, a few, um, you know, a few months ago, I released a video. This is, this is one of the comments that was said. It was basically, to be honest, coffee farmers have a, and, and you know, as you know, the, the video was uh, a video all about the seed price, the commodity, the commodity pricing of coffee and how it affects coffee farmers. So the comment was, to be honest, coffee farmers are low IQ human beings and their well-being is the least of my concerns. Um, if the farmers are not happy about the coffee price, then they can plant different plants. Nobody is forcing them to work in that industry. And as you can expect, you know, there was a, there was a few, you know, responses there and then other people who had shared with me, you know, what they thought about that comment. But I just wanted to see if you had anything to share from your perspective on what are some of the, the falsehoods from that comment or what are some of the perspectives that maybe this person wasn't seeing, you know, from your perception growing up in the coffee farming community and being in a, in a producing country. Yeah. So, you know, I think that when I hear comments like this, I think that people oftentimes forget um, what the average and traditional coffee farmer looks like right now. It's usually a 70 year old man. That's like a standard coffee producer, um, which is also very representative of who my dad is. So when I hear things like this, um, I'm like, okay, you know, like, I get that maybe there are some misconceptions of where these comments are coming from, but at the same time, knowing um, what coffee farmers look like and everything that they have to do throughout the year. And like, you know, how is it possible that someone who has to run this entire business um, year round has a low IQ (laughs) and things like that, you know, like it just, it doesn't make sense. Um, And also when I hear things like, okay, why don't they just plant something else? Well, you can't. <laughs> coffee takes a really long time to grow. So you can't just uproot, you know, your coffee plants and turn it into something else. Unfortunately, that is what a lot of people have been doing 
with the current um, sea market crisis, but that's very unfortunate. You know, like when I hear things like that, it just, it doesn't make sense because a property producer isn't just a property producer. You have to think of all of these older men who already have the right to retire, who are still working at the farm, um, who are also having to deal and be like export um, experts. They also need to know and be up to date with weather patterns. They also have to be up to date with current technologies and ways of cultivating coffee and things like that. You know, like I don't think that someone with necessarily a low IQ um, is capable of specializing in all of these different things because when you're a coffee farmer, you don't just like, you don't just grow coffee. You have to be up to date with all of these other things. Um, which is why as a coffee farmer, you come to realize that you can't just grow something else from one day to the next. It doesn't work like that. A coffee plant for it to be productive, it takes a lot of years and a lot of work and a lot of money also. So it's not that simple. Yeah, I think I think that that concept also translates to a lot of industries and a lot of people who are passionate about their craft. You know, uh, there's so many examples in history where someone's been doing something and maybe they've gotten a lot of like different criticisms or reactions from, you know, maybe, maybe people in their competition, but also maybe people who just don't understand. And it's the persistent ones, the one who knows what their dream is, who knows what, what is possible and has that imagination, who's able to kind of really bring that forward in the long run. But it's like one of those infinite games, you know, if you're just playing just to win one year to the next, then you're not, you're not necessarily going to see the fruits, literal fruits and the conceptual fruits. Um, But I'm curious, I'm curious on that note, just even play the devil's advocate. Do you think that maybe there's a little bit of oversaturation in coffee production, or do you think that it's still, it's, it's more just about the logistics and the perceptions and there is something that we can do to actually make it more viable. Yeah. Um, the thing is speaking from what I know, which is mostly coffee culture within El Salvador, growing coffee, it's really hard. You know, um, we don't have access or even the possibility to use a lot of the equipment and technology that would maybe facilitate growing coffee for us. El Salvador is literally a chain of volcanoes that go into the ocean like that's what our landscape is you know like it's very very hard for us to find flat surfaces um our mountains are very steep and that is why we can't necessarily mechanize like they do in a lot of other countries such as Brazil where they can like mechanically harvest um coffee and the costs go down and it's more like cost um beneficial for them to be able to use all of these things like for us it becomes a lot harder where we actually need to depend on people to hand pick the coffee. So it's little things like that where we're sort of at a disadvantage, but at the same time, they can also translate into, you know, like better quality, um, more attention to detail, better selection process, things like that. So it's sort of a, a give and take in a way. Yeah. So you have faith for the the coffee production side to really be able to shine through in in the coming years even even through this pandemic given the fact that there's still a lot of you know a growing demand for a more specialized product that maybe hasn't been saturated yet is that more or less um i i would like to think so the thing is i think that 
unfortunately, due to the current coffee crisis and everything that's going on, a lot of farmers, they have abandoned their farms. You know, it's not viable for you to be implementing all of these strategies that at the end, they, they are money, you know, like paying people to do all of these things by hand, like that's, it's very demanding for you. Um, we're also in a crisis where banks locally, they don't want to finance coffee anymore because it, it doesn't make sense, you know? So when you don't have access to credit and when you don't have enough money to necessarily like pay everyone, um, when you have to pay them, the easiest thing for you to do is just to abandon your farm. And that is what has been happening a lot in El Salvador. You see how a lot of farms from one day to the next, um, that people go in, they take out all of the wood and then they get turned into strip malls and things like that. And it's very sad. So I think that right now with this crisis, the few producers that are left, I think that we've come to the realization that we can't compete necessarily in quantity with countries like Brazil or even Honduras, which is next door. You know, like we have fallen behind in that sense because our coffee forests, they're very old and they're not necessarily as productive as they used to be. But on the other hand, we do know, and I have noticed that a lot more people are trying to specialize in quality instead of quantity. So I think that that is maybe like one way to sort of survive as a coffee farmer in El Salvador. But at the same time, realistically speaking, that's really hard because you sell maybe um, a little bit of your crop as specialty and then most of it, it gets sold as commodity. So it's it's a really hard balance also that you need to play. Um, and this also ties back into, you know, like the initial comment of the low IQ, it's like, okay, you know, like as a coffee producer, you're constantly playing this fine line of how much coffee you can sell at a certain price point in order to be able to survive for a whole year because you only get paid once a year. Um, so it's, it's very hard. And I think that a lot of people necessarily don't understand like all of these little components of how coffee producers literally live a very different way, even financially than most people do, or even other agriculture um, markets do. So what would you say is like maybe a bit of the tipping point where that balance just tells the farmer, hey, look, you know, this is not working out. Well, maybe you should find something else to do or, you know, what do you think is maybe the hope for these farmers who have put in all the years and all the, their expertise? You mentioned, you know, diving a little bit more into quality over quantity. Um, but as you mentioned as well, it's not the only, it's not the only way. Do you see like, um, you know, between that balance and between the hope, you know, of moving forward, what, what do you think are some of the right answers there? The thing is, I don't think that there is necessarily a right answer. It's very complicated and it depends a lot um, on how big your farm is, how much access to credits you have, if you even have access to these things, if you have access to the specialized markets, because it doesn't matter if you're growing fantastic specialty quality coffee, if you can allocate it into a market, if you can't find the buyer. And that is unfortunately what happens a lot of the times. Um, you know, like I've tasted one of the most memorable coffees that I can think of has been this Pacamara and it had, it was this variant that tastes a little bit like onion, which sounds super weird, but it's actually, it's fantastic and it's mind blowing. Um, but this older person that was selling it, he doesn't have an access 
20 specialized markets. So he just, he sells it with everything else and it goes into a big pile with all of these other coffees. And that's the fate of that one fantastic coffee, which I'm pretty sure would be paid incredibly well um, if he simply knew how to approach all of these other situations, you know, and that's what happens to maybe, you know, and the person that I'm talking about, he's an older uh, man who is college educated. He has a great network. He has access to a lot of things. He has a higher level of privilege in a way, yet still he can't access all of these other little markets that are willing to pay for that. So then when he translates that into maybe a more, a smaller farmer that maybe doesn't have the same education level, doesn't have the same social networks that he can tap into to sell their coffee. What has been happening um, until recently is that a lot of these people, they abandon their farms and they migrate. They, they go to the United States usually, and that's, you know, like they leave the country because it's just not financially viable for them to are to be able to continue in coffee farming because coffee farming is very expensive. It's not as cheap as a lot of people usually assume. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and that's, that's the dilemma, right? So we're trying to figure out, okay, what can we do? You know, what's, what's the silver lining or potentially, you know, if the coffee producers are, are struggling, you know, what can we do maybe on more of the consuming level or even importing roasting level? to hold on to that, which, which can thrive and can exist. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that people can start to do. Um, and this is something that I have been trying to advocate for a while now. It's just like request transparency, you know, like ask people, how much are you paying? How much are you paying? Um, if it's in a cafe, how much are you paying your roaster? How much is your roaster paying for coffee, um, through your importer? how much is your importer paying the producer, you know, like trying to get down to these little things. I think that that makes a difference. Um, maybe not necessarily because, you know, like things are going to change like that, but because you are going through all of these little bridges that normally people don't have access to, you know, like it's still very unbelievable to me that a lot of farmers, not once have they seen um, a coffee bag with their name on it. They don't know where their coffee ends. Like that is the traditional story of how things happen for coffee farmers. Fortunately, now we have access to the internet, um, there's social media, and a lot of, I guess, like millennial coffee farmers, like we've been able to bridge these gaps, you know, but when it comes to the majority of coffee farmers who are usually 70-year-old men, they're not on Instagram, um, they're barely on Facebook, you know, so it's like, little things like that. So I think that by demanding this information, I think that you can sort of, in a way, approach the end of the um, of the coffee chain from both ends. I think that farmers can have more access to consumers. And I think the consumers can also have more access to producers. And I think that that just starts to humanize coffee production a lot more. Um, because, you know, like most of these countries where coffee is being consumed, you don't have coffee, coffee trees right there. You don't know how coffee is grown. You don't know how labor intensive it is. You don't know what it entails to be, you know, like guarding this piece of land that is socially and also environmentally responsible, you know, like all of these little things, they, they don't come into your head simply because you're not exposed to it. Um, but I do think that social media is a great way to bridge these gaps and sort of humanize 
copy farming um, and for people to be able to, to click, you know, like, oh, coffee's a fruit. Like that is one of the most mind blowing things for the average consumer that I don't know why people think, you know, like that it's a bean, because <laughs> we call it a bean, but um, the fact that it's a fruit, like little things like that, like they make a difference. And I think that they start to capture people into wanting to know more and wanting to bridge these gaps. And I think that that is like the glimpse of hope that I have seen. And it has also been the glimpse of hope for our farm. Like personally, if it weren't for social media, I don't know if we would still be running, to be honest. Wow. That's a huge, that's a huge testimony. And and thank you for sharing that and like, you know, being vulnerable to that. Because what I what I hear you saying here is, you know, there one of the one of the big solutions is really focusing on the communication aspect how can we like you said humanize it create those relationships between the people on the one side the produ- you know consuming who really are passionate about um, serving the higher quality product and having that transparency and then the producers who have been passionate about increasing their quality you know taking care of the earth that they're that they're planting on that they're living on and then getting those into the right hands like the right people who who really want to appreciate that right but you know, especially, especially in this day and age with technology, it's like it's it's two clicks away from from contacting people in producing countries for the majority of time. Um, but as you said, there's a bit of a um, technological barrier sometimes if people are not uh, they don't understand it, right? Absolutely, you have that, and then you also have language barriers, um, and then you also have accessibility barriers. You know, like it would be very hard for me to be able to get my dad on a Zoom call with you, <laughs> not only because there is like no full reception at the farm, but also because the 70 year old man and for him, it's really hard to get on Zoom, you know, like to master Facebook, but an email, but that's about it. Um, so it's little things like that where people, I think sometimes forget what a privilege it is to be able to enjoy really good coffee. Like it's really hard to produce it's really hard for it to get to the end consumer. Um, so I think that, you know, like, yes, it's something that is available to us every day, but at the same time, like it's almost a miracle that it ended on the other side of the world and that you're able to drink it. Totally. Yeah. It's, it is a miracle. <laughs> coffee, yeah. coffee, coffee can be a miracle for a lot of people. So yeah. I think that's why both of us are so passionate about it. That's why we're doing yeah. the work that we do. And exactly. uh, yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited for some of those solutions being able to be more accessible and come into play a little bit more. Like you said, there's no right answer, but mm-hmm. you know, we have to do a bit of the work to kind of find a lot of the work to, find, to find out what that is. So. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that it has to be mutually beneficial you know like i have noticed recently how there's a lot of interest um from roasters to sort of like protect farmers and to sort of like guard their livelihood in a way which i think is fantastic but at the same time you know like to me it's incredibly important also that our roasters are doing super well and that their families are well and that they're also like doing well during a pandemic you know like this has affected everyone and just like it has affected farmers there's a lot of roasters who shut down there's a lot of cafes who shut down and sort of just like bridging this community um like barriers and just like making it a little bit cozier for everyone and just like checking in with everyone like what are you doing you know like i love to send uh 
pictures of the farm, even though if it's like good things or bad things to our roasters, I find like we just had a little landslide because it won't stop raining. But at the same time, look, the coffee is ripening and it's like it's looking great and we'll have like a great crop this year. So it's like humanizing both ends because I also have absolutely no idea, no concept, no understanding of what it's like to be a roaster or what it's like to have a coffee shop. So it's like making it a little bit more human um, and mystifying this whole like coffee scene from both ends and just, I think it's just being more in touch <laughs> with each other basically. And I think that that's also like another glimpse of hope um, that I see in the industry at least. Thank you so much. And one last thing before you hit the road, please leave this podcast a rating and hit that follow button if you enjoyed it. That really helps us out here. And to support this show further, please check out our sponsors in the description with links also to the YouTube, Instagram, and Patreon. See you out there.